All right. Well, let me pray for you, Scott. He's going to give us a message. God, um, thank you for being here. Thank you for how you've provided. Um, thank you for how you still you still love us and you still keep us growing and close to you through all that we've been through. And, and God, I just pray for this message that Scott's going to give. I pray that um, you would speak right through him. Um, what is it that you want us to hear this morning? What do you want us to, to listen to from you? What is in the passage, your, your word, that you want us to pay attention to? I just pray you help us see that and that you guide Scott's words um, for that. So thank you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Just so you know where we're going, we are actually going to, we don't do this every week, but today we are going to do it. We're going to do communion. Uh, so after we get into the word for a little bit, we're going we're gonna to pause. Actually, Catherine's going to come back up and, and lead us in a time of communion. And then we're going to finish with a, a song or two. Kevin will come back up. And so it's a good thing to remember uh, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. So we're going to do that today. Um, but today we're, well, actually, I, want to, I do want to say one other thing. I don't have any announcements, but I do have a, maybe an encouragement of sorts. So with, um, with something like uh, prayer or even coming to this gathering this morning, coming to the church gathering, um, going to a midweek prayer gathering, even getting up early, maybe if whatever your habit is, to spend time with God, you will notice, and this nobody is exempt from this, but you will notice that there is a part of us that doesn't want to do it, right? Is it just me, right? Is it? Come on, right? Sometimes, and sometimes that, that urge to not do the good thing that we know we should do is very powerful. It's very strong. And so we often find ourselves when it's like, oh, okay, it's the prayer meeting or the, okay, let's, let's get up and let's go to the house of God because it's time to worship. Let's, whatever the thing, go to the small group or go to the Bible study or meet that friend that you know you're going to get together with that friend. It's going to be a, a rich time of encouragement or whatever, whatever the thing may be, mission stuff. Um, often, you're going to be faced with the feeling inside of you of not wanting to do it. So what do you do? Listen, we don't live by feelings. We can't live by feelings. If, if we live by feelings, if we're not feeling it, then we ain't doing it kind of thing. If that's our motto, like we're, we're, it's going to kill us. We're going to get so off track so fast we're going to just not do the things that we know we should do. But I just want to encourage you because actually this week I've been fighting some, some kind of head cold or whatever the whole week, and, but I had all this stuff on the schedule. I just had like a lot of meetings and a lot of events happening in our Warwick space and just different things. On Halloween night, there was this big outreach and I said I'd be there. And the, so many times this week, I was like, I do not want to go to this thing with like 200 little kids in crazy costumes running all around. And I just like want to stay at home and just be at home and just, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to be around people. But I said I'd be there. So I was like, I just kind of pushed myself. And I was just reminded because I pushed myself and probably for the first 10 or 15 minutes, kind of just powering through it, 
Like, oh, why am I here? I don't want to be here. I was just kind of eased into it. And then all of a sudden, about half an hour, 45 minutes later, I realized I was swimming in the joy of the Lord. And there is a principle, guys. When you decide to do something and you power through and you just push through, you, you discover that there's a grace on the other side. And like no other thing, prayer is like that. Because all of your own flesh, all of the spiritual forces in this world, even just the conspiracy of just everything around us, everything will try to keep us from praying and especially praying together. What do you do? Don't listen to any of that. Don't go by feelings. Don't ever say to yourself, yeah, I'm just not feeling like going to the prayer gathering that I set in my heart to go to. Don't listen to your feelings. Push past your feelings and choose. I've said this before. If you've been around for any length of time, you've probably heard me say, thirst is a choice. You know, we think thirst is this thing, you know, spiritual thirst is this thing that we, uh, you know, we just feel the, the, the urge and the longing. Oh, just, I'm so thirsty for, I just want to, yes, that, there is some of that. But often thirst is just, you know what? I said I was going to do this and I'm going to do it. And you push past. And listen, there's something about that. When you pray, when you don't feel like praying, I learned this in Bible school, honestly, because out of their whatever, you want to call it legalism or rules or whatever, you had to be in chapel every day. You just had to. And it was ridiculous. It was seven classes a semester, plus you were doing ministry on the side. Uh, you know, we were doing whatever, all these different ministries, nursing home ministry, and plus you had to serve in a local church. Like the schedule was ridiculous. We felt so fatigued, so tired at times. And you knew you couldn't just like stay in the dorm room and sleep through chapel. Like it just, you, you weren't allowed to do that. So it was like so many times come in, I am so tired. I could sleep on the front row right now. And you just, okay, God, here I am. In my utter weakness, burning with the feeling of not wanting to be here, and yet, here I am. This is what I got right now. Nothing. And you just start pressing in. And you just start waiting. And you just start groaning. And you start calling upon the Lord in your dryness. And how many know, know God loves to break forth streams in the desert. Don't miss that. If you go by your feelings all the time, you will never experience those streams of living water that flow in dry places. So I encourage us, because today we're kind of, you know, today, whatever, Friday, we're stepping into a new season of prayer. We're just taking the next three or four months kind of right up to Easter, and we're just saying, we're not going to do a lot. The Ren menu isn't going to have a lot of uh, things on it in the next few months, but we're just going to spend some time in prayer. So I encourage you to get up early on Sunday morning, come into the sanctuary. We're, we're setting this sanctuary as just nine o'clock to 10 o'clock as a place of quietness. If you don't like praying in a big circle and you know taking turns praying, that we don't really do it like that. 
we have a short teaching, we pray one prayer, uh, and then we just have 45 minutes where you can pray on your own, pray around the sanctuary. But make a decision to be part of that. We're praying on Tuesdays, we're praying on Thursdays, we're praying on the first Friday of the month in our Warwick space. Obviously, you can't do all of that, but make a decision like between you and the Lord in the spirit, like when you're in a good frame of mind and say, okay, this is what I can do. I can do two of these. I can do one of these. I can come a half an hour early on Sundays, whatever it is. Everybody's different. Everybody has different schedules. Some of you have three kids, four kids, some of you, whatever. We all have different situations, but decide in your heart what you can do. Listen, this applies to anything. We could apply this to giving. We could apply this to, to, to coming to, to church, right? We could apply this to any number of different things in our life. It's funny how, how much we power through uh, showing up at work, right? <laughs> Isn't it funny? Because we know that's like a place where it depends on your job, of course, but you kind of have to be there. Yeah, I remember when I worked at Starbucks a long time ago. It was like there was just no, there was no grace. There was no room for, I remember I got written up for being like three minutes late one time. I was like, oh my gosh, this is, there is no grace here at all. But when that is how it is, you just figure it out. You, you get up, you push through. I had to be there at 6 a.m. on Thayer Street to make coffee for college students. Now I love college students. <laughs> but you just power through, right? It's amazing what we can do when we don't cut ourselves so much slack. Can I just be a dad for a moment and say, stop cutting yourself so much slack. Expect something from yourself. Make a decision and stick with it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, that's my little extra dad word this morning. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this, uh, this message. So we have come upon uh, today our final chapter in the book of Acts. We've been in this series for many months, and so we are at chapter 28 in the book of Acts, and the title of this message I'm calling God's Strange Ways. All right? And I think, uh, Nikita, if you have that map image, you can throw that up. Cool. Um, this might help if you want to. You see at the bottom right corner, that's kind of where Paul uh, started his journey and, and, you know, the whole crazy sailing trip that we talked about in the last couple messages or the last message. And then he, he lands uh, today at the beginning of chapter 28 in the tiny island of Malta, right under Sicily. So if you want to look at that, you can. So in the previous chapter, just to uh, remind you, Paul is being transported by ship as a prisoner to Rome from Caesarea as they experienced terrible storms to the point of shipwreck. That was the last sermon where they just come crashing into Malta and the ship is just broken up and they're swimming ashore and some of them are uh, just, you know, like getting to shore on pieces of floating wood. Uh, it, was, it was a mess. But God used Paul to speak hope to the crew. And Paul began this voyage really as a prisoner in chains. But by the time they landed in Malta, 
the passengers began to realize that this, this guy, Paul, had something special about him. He had a personal relationship with God. He knew God, and he was speaking hope to the crew. Now, it's important when reading these stories, not just this story that we're going to read today, but really all the stories in the book of Acts, just to recognize the presence of the sovereign God. It is God who directed the wind and the waves that caused the ship to crash and land on this small island of Malta, far out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It's also certain that Malta was not yet exposed to Christianity on account of it being so remote and Christianity being so new. It's only 60 AD at this point. And it's clear that God is orchestrating things in his strange ways, right? That these unreached peoples of Malta could be exposed to the good news about Jesus. Now, as we read through the chapter, I just want to encourage you to pay special attention to how God works to break through to these people in Malta. And I don't think we can make a direct parallel to our challenge today in bringing the gospel uh, to people around us. But there are some similarities. People in Malta were spiritual, as you'll see. Uh, they had kind of a loose idea of God. And they say about half of the younger population in America has no defined religious affiliation. They hold a loose idea of right and wrong. But they're spiritual. Spiritual but not religious, right? People often describe themselves as. But let's see how God awakens the people of Malta and takes them from vague spirituality to a belief in Jesus. Again, it's not a direct parallel because most Americans who have no religious affiliation have some kind of understanding of the Christian faith, right? They say this is more of a post-Christian or moving toward a post-Christian culture. And so there's a difference between a completely unreached region, the people that have never heard anything about Jesus or the gospel, and people who are kind of religiously unaffiliated today. Many of them have usually like wrong ideas about Christianity or caricatures of the negative aspects of the Christian faith. But I think the same... God often does the same kind of thing to capture the attention of both and to bring the, bring the gospel through. So what I'm going to do with this is just kind of read a few verses at a time and, and make some comments. And so I'm going to just jump in at verse 1. And it says this, After we were brought safely through, again, they crashed into Malta, but we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. Let me just say here that the writer of Acts, which is Luke, by the way, does not view these island people as you know, barbaric, evil people. Theologically, it is true, if we know the Bible at all, that all people who are not in Christ are sinful and at enmity with God. All are in rebellion to the creator. That's just the truth. 
But it's equally true that spiritually dead individuals can hold enough of the image of God in them to still be kind and hospitable. It would be a great mistake to think that all non-Christians are incapable of showing love and goodness. The fact is some non-Christians outdo Christians in a great many virtues. But whether a person has a good measure of virtue or is the worst of sinners, they need a savior. No one can earn heaven by being good enough. But I think that's a mistake that some Christians make. They view everyone who is outside of Christ as just terrible or that they're fake or that their love is not real love. Their mother's love is not a real love. Don't think like that at all. The image of God in people is powerful. God puts that inside of people. And these natives had it. They were hospitable. They, they sensed the, the kind of the, you know, the, the tragedy almost of this ship being broken. And they showed compassion on these 276 crew members. So verse 3 says, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, making himself useful, and put them on the fire... Some of you have never heard this story. It's kind of a funny, kind of crazy story. But it says, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. I love that the context for this miracle, if it was a miracle, is Paul being helpful in gathering wood for the fire. Serving people in practical ways often gives us credibility. Now, again, we have to recognize the sovereignty of God in this story, right? We know God oversees all the earth and all the animals, all the creatures of the earth. God orchestrated, or at least allowed, this snake, maybe deadly snake, to jump out of the fire and latch itself to Paul's hand in front of everyone. The fire itself served as a kind of spotlight, right? Paul's right there with the the illumination of the fire on him. Everybody's kind of watching this horrific incident. They, they might have known that, that snake well. They may have known that getting bitten by that snake, especially that intensive a bite, would likely result in death. Mark uh, chapter 16, verses 17 and 18 say, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons, speak in new tongues, pick up serpents with their hands. (laughs) And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. Maybe Mark wrote that in light of this story of Paul shaking the snake off and not being harmed by the snake. But I do have to say this too. We have to, as much as we kind of want the story to be a certain thing, we also have to be honest in our interpretation so despite the, the seeming support of this verse in Luke, uh, however, there is really no clear support in Acts 28 that Paul's survival of the snake incident was miraculous. I hope that doesn't disappoint anyone. But I think we just have to be honest. We really don't know that for sure. It doesn't say that. Luke didn't say it was a supernatural, amazing thing that happened, that Paul was bitten by this deadly snake and he didn't die. It was just, that was the perception of the natives. 
that Paul should have died. It might have been an innocent garden snake. And the snake might have not even bitten Paul enough to break his skin. But regardless, I think we can say this is true. It got the people of Malta thinking and talking about spiritual things. And maybe that was the point. All right, verse four says, when the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, we should have pulled up some artwork or something like that. (laughs) You know, like, can you picture Paul? Like, what the, you know, like this thing, like all of a sudden grabs a hold of his, and he's just like, what is going on? So when the people saw the creature hanging from Paul's hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. And here's where we see that the native people had some spirituality and a sense of divine justice, right? They had a measure of light in them that taught them that, well, there are consequences for sin. We reap what we sow. It's the universal sense of right and wrong inside of all people put there by the creator, which we've been learning about in our book club, right? C.S. Lewis kind of talks about that in his Uh, book, Mere Christianity, that God puts inside of people a sense of right and wrong. But it's unclear in the story if Paul heard them saying this. There's no record of Paul even reacting to the snake bite other than just shaking it off. We aren't sure how long Paul left the snake hanging off of his hand. I don't know. This is just me, but I wonder if Paul had a moment of recognizing God's hand in the viper latching itself to his hand and thinking, okay, God, so this is how you're going to get things going here in Malta. God's ways are strange ways. Verse five says, he, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to, the natives were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. So quickly, the opinions changed, right? I mean, it kind of reminds you a little bit about the crowds Uh, saying Hosanna and just worshiping Jesus when he came in right on the donkey and you know the the massive crowds were just praising him and a week later I bet many of the same people were in the in the crowd saying crucify him how quickly people can change the fickleness of people so Paul somehow gets the snake off of him by shaking his hand, probably flailing his whole arm. And uh, maybe you can picture that in your mind, but people were probably backing away from him and looking intently to see what would happen. You get the idea that it took a few moments maybe for Paul to shake this deadly creature off of him. But when he finally does, uh, the, the snake goes flying in the air and lands in the fire. I know this is a sad story and the snake probably was burned up and killed. But can we just acknowledge here that God's ways of bringing the gospel are not our ways? He does unusual things at times to break through the darkness. 
it's cool too because this is like the last chapter in the book of Acts, you know? Like we've we've kind of seen it all. I mean, we've seen all of the strange ways. And I love how God ends Acts 28 with almost like the strangest of all the strange ways to say like, don't box me in. Now the natives were very aware that this could have been very aware this particular snake was deadly. You know, they were waiting for Paul to fall dead or at least swell up, but nothing happened. Paul just sat there by the fire enjoying the warmth and the company of the natives. The people of Malta were so amazed that the snake had no effect on Paul that they concluded that Paul must not be human. He must be a god. And it gives you a little window into the, just kind of the spirituality of these people. I mean, they're definitely theologically undeveloped, but it seemed like their mind was there. They're, 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 they had a mind to interpret the world around them as something that God was a part of, but they were limited in their understanding. This is a side note for some of you might be thinking of these kinds of questions, and I'm not going to answer the question here because I don't even have the answer to the question, but it's just fun I like to think about these things. I'm comfortable with, with questions, um, and this is one of them. Many have had the question, what about people in remote parts of the world who have never heard the gospel? Right? What about places like Malta? You know, what if, what if somebody died before Paul arrived on the island and they had never heard the gospel? You know, can people be saved in remote parts of the world without hearing the gospel? It's a very challenging question because in scripture, you kind of have both like yes and no. Um, And there's really no clear, clear answer in the Bible. Certainly uh, nobody is saved, but through the shed blood of Christ. But what does a person have to do to appropriate faith in God in that way? Certainly God is at work in places where missionaries have not gone. The Holy Spirit can work directly on people apart from any Christian influence. You've heard of many in the Muslim world, for example, having incredible dreams and visions before they've had any interaction at all with a Christian. Many missionaries reaching the unreached have discovered that some people have already received so much light before they even arrived. But is it enough light to be saved? Or is the light just a forerunner to prepare people for the gospel? If we say that God can save people without missionaries bringing the gospel to them, then it kind of diminishes our responsibility and urgency of bringing the gospel to unreached peoples. So that could be a little problematic. At least in this story, it seems evident that God was at work in the people of Malta before Paul arrived. But Paul was able to bring them into a full revelation of who God is. Anyways, that's kind of a side note. You can discuss that, think about that for the rest of your life, pretty much, and you will never figure it out, okay? All right, verse seven, Publius. Now in the neighborhood of that place in Malta were lands belonging to the chief man of the island, maybe a sort of governor or king or whatever, named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. 
it's probably safe to say that Publius was the most influential person on the entire island. Again, I love how Luke is not afraid to acknowledge the kindness of this non-Christian man. He apparently was, you get the idea that he was wealthy, and he entertained some from the ship. We aren't sure if that meant all 276 people or if it was just kind of a handful uh, from the ship, part of the crew, but he kind of lavished them with hospitality. Verse eight, it says, it happened, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. I love those two words, it happened. It's an interesting phrase. It just so happened. What a funny and strange coincidence, right? That the father of the most influential person on the island was very sick at the precise time that Paul was shipwrecked there and stayed at the house of Publius for three days. It didn't just happen randomly. Again, we have to view things through the eyes of God's sovereignty. We have to recognize that the sovereign God orchestrates things and he allowed or orchestrated the father of Publius to be sick at this particular time. God was setting the stage for a great miracle that would catalyze revival on the entire island. Often a person is one when Christians are able to help those most dear to them. You know, it might be a child in rebellion or a spouse suffering from debilitating anxiety. It's good for us to pay attention, not only to the people we're trying to reach, but to the people who are most important to them. And sometimes those are opportunities to show God's love. Well, we aren't told what Paul said to Publius about his sick dad. You get the idea that Paul just asked maybe to visit the man. Maybe Paul was offering to just spend some time with the man to care for him, keep, keep him company. Paul was not always successful in healing people. But there were times over the decades that God did heal people through Paul. And so I'm sure he had that in mind. I'm going to go pray for this man, Publius, and see what the Lord will do. And the man was healed. And it gets exciting, verse 9. Okay, so when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Remember, Luke was a doctor too. So there's this idea that, that people came and were ministered to by Paul and probably Luke, the physician, uh, giving advice, medical advice. And there was kind of this combination of practical medicine and uh, spiritual healing. There's a lot that happens between the lines here. The dad of Publius is healed and somehow word spreads to the entire island. And I love the, the communication, right? We live in a day where communication is, I feel, strained. Like, we've never been more savvy with communication, right? There's, there's uh, word of mouth, social media, email, mail, um, billboards, uh, ads and magazines. I mean, we are constantly pummeled by messages, right? But it's so simple back then. It seems like 2,000 years ago, wide communication could happen effectively, and rapidly. Oh, I kind of miss that. Somehow everyone on, on the island hears about Paul healing the dad 
of Publius. It's likely that because Publius was described as the chief man on the island, that his father's illness was well known. This testimony of Paul's healing, maybe coupled with the dramatic story of Paul being immune to the snake bite, caused everyone sick on the island to come to where Paul was staying to be healed. And Paul healed them all. Verse 10, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. So apparently they spent about three months in Malta. Paul healed every sick person on the island. Again, reading through the lines, I mean, we know Paul was a preacher, um, but we know, we know that Paul must have shared the gospel with those he healed. He must have shared Christ as a source of power, right? In, in, in the healing of the dad of Publius. Paul must have shared Christ on the ship with the hundreds waiting to sail to Rome once the weather broke. Acts 28 doesn't really tell us a lot of detail about Paul's preaching in Malta, but the history, history books tell of the spread of Christianity on the island. And this is often the pattern in the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. Here it is. They would demonstrate the supernatural in some way and then point to the message of the gospel. They would do a miracle and then point to the God of the miracle. And it wasn't just healing. It might have been the casting out of a devil it might have been the raising of the dead. It might have been telling the secrets of a person's heart, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, some kind of prophecy. It could have been the displaying of God's power over nature or divine judgment that happened. Remember when Ananias and Sapphira were struck dead and news spread throughout the whole land or the baptism of the Holy Spirit coming or many other things. The breaking in of divine power captures the attention of spiritually lost people and opens their ears to hear the message. Mark chapter 16, verse 20 says this, and they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And listen, do we still see this today? We do. We might not see, I mean, I haven't met anybody that's raised the dead. That would be really cool. <laughs> um, I, I've seen some demons cast out in certain settings. It's not an everyday thing, but I've seen that happen at times. I've heard testimonies that I feel are very reliable testimonies of people being healed um, from certain illnesses or injuries. But I feel like in, in our day, what we have seen is, you remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, the resurrected Christ, and he was speaking to uh, two disciples and they weren't sure who he was. And afterward, they said, did your heart not burn within you when Christ spoke to us? We see that manifestation of the spirit. We see the tangible, palpable, 
presence of God. John Michelson this morning was talking about that, the gathering at the Haven Space um, on Friday. There was just, you know, youth band that played, and there was a, a clear, palpable manifestation of the nearness of God in our midst. It's a supernatural thing. There are, one of my favorite, you've heard me quote this before in Corinthians 14, like when, when, when we're gathered together, uh, God does something. Outsiders and unbelievers are sometimes gathered in church um, environments and the Bible says that the secrets of their hearts are unveiled. In other words, they, they have this experience that, oh my gosh, God is here. God knows me. God is speaking things that are so direct and so personal. Maybe through the preaching of the word or maybe through somebody's prayer or maybe through just some kind of circumstance that happens, but they feel that God is surely in this place. And the Bible says they fall on their knees. They fall on their faces and declare, surely God is present. Those are supernatural. Those are divine workings of God. And, and it seems like in every generation, God does different kinds of things. It seems like when God breaks into an area that where Christianity is brand new, there is often dramatic healings and dramatic miracles that happen, right? Like we don't see... Like, listen, Christianity is not breaking into America. Like, it's been here for hundreds of years. But God is still manifesting himself in ways that are unexplainable. And my prayer is that we would just ask God to do that more and more. I mean, again, you've heard me preach this, but like Paul said in, in, in Corinthians uh, chapter 2, he said... Um, Eloquence is not enough. This is my paraphrase. Eloquence is not enough. Preaching is not enough. It's not enough to be clever. It's not enough to be just, you know, fine-sounding wisdom and words strung together in such a, a creative way or a clever way that somehow it like, convinces people and changes them. He said, no, that's not enough. Like, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be manifested in the mission work that we do. Paul said, I came not in word only, but in a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And so my encouragement to us is let's believe God. Each of you in this place who is, and I don't know everybody in here, but I'm assuming that a good number of you are followers of Jesus. Well, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has put you in a field. He's put you in a neighborhood. He's put you in a workplace. Right? He's put you in a, in a classroom. He's put you in a, in a school. He's put you in different, in the police force. You know, he's put you in different arenas. Like there are people around you that need Jesus. And I want to press upon you, don't just rely on word only. Yes, the disciples went out and preached everywhere. Absolutely. We use words. We don't just go with miracles and don't explain anything, right? But I'm saying like sometimes people are so lost, so engrossed in their darkness that your words will just sound like nothing to them. They need something that punches through. Trust God for his strange 
supernatural workings in the people who you are trying to reach. Think about your field and pray specifically. That was actually John's message this morning during the prayer time was, and Kevin kind of alluded to it, but just to ask, right? The Bible says, Jesus says, ask and it will be given. And it's just a simple encouragement. Like, wow, are we asking? Can we ask God? Let's ask God to heal the sick. Let's ask God to do miraculous things. Let's ask God that when we're sharing the gospel with maybe two coworkers, that they would feel something inside of them. Let's ask God that maybe, you know, that story in, 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 the, in the book of Acts where, uh, you know, they pray for uh, the disciples and the spirit of God falls and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for those kinds of things to happen, for people to feel peace come over them when we're with them. Those manifestations of the supernatural, they get your attention. Listen, I'll give you, all right, I'm going to end here. This will be my last story. But I remember like for me, being 21 years old, I did not believe any of this stuff. I didn't really know much about the Bible. I kind of heard, okay, I was kind of learning about it. Some people were trying to convince me. They really weren't convincing me because I had so much doubt in my life. I mean, just so much, I don't know. This is too, this is too, this is way too hard to believe. This, seems, this is crazy. You know, but I was like, all right, it's interesting. It seems to be doing something in them. So I, like, I was kind of conflicted about it, but I was just like very steeped in doubt. So I find myself in a room, you know, 21 years of age. I have my two friends are there. We're just, you know, again, I don't know what they believe, if this is true. It's kind of interesting. I'm kind of being drawn in a little bit, but I have a lot of doubts about the whole thing. Not a Christian, definitely not a Christian at this point. And so they just begin singing some songs, right? And I'm like, this is cool. I, I love music. I'm a musician. So I'm like playing my little guitar along with them as they're singing these, they're just making up songs to God, this psalm. And about like halfway through this song, I felt the presence of God just flood my insides, I had never felt that one time in 21 years. I was just drenched. I felt peace. I felt joy. I was not high. I hadn't done drugs in several days or whatever. I mean, I was just like, I was feeling so much of the tangible, palpable presence of God's joy and love that when the song finally ended, I was like, what was that? <laughs> that was crazy. And I just still have a memory of my friend Doug just smiling, not explaining it, just smiling, like realizing, oh my gosh, like God just totally broke through and touched him. And listen, that got my attention. I won't tell my whole story. I've told it many times, but it was the next day that I really encountered God and, and came to faith. But there's something about the supernatural, God's strange workings that can get people's attention. Amen. I'm going to leave it there. There's a little bit more in Acts 28, but you can, you can read it. Uh, there's some, some good nuggets in there, but I'll let you guys finish it up because I want to have some time for communion. I'm going to invite Catherine to come on up. She's going to lead us, and then Kevin's going to end us with a, with a song. Thanks for listening, guys.